Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 298 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, where you'll find writing courses and a wonderfully supportive writing community. And I'm here with my co-host, Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of the popular Mapmaker Chronicles and Adaban Cipher book series. How are you, Al? I am okay. That's I am good. not quite as, you know, wordy as I was last week oh, with yeah, my spider's webs yeah. and other yeah. gossamer threads. Gossamer threads. Yeah. I was feeling a little bit poetic. Yes. Um, this time I'm just, yeah, I'm okay. Fair That's to middling. That's on the f- Yeah, we're okay with that. Hmm. Okay. Well, um, I think fair to middling is, is, is pretty good when it comes to you sometimes. <laughs> Oh, fair to middling is what I aim for. We've discussed this. Like it's, it's really great. Like I haven't quite reached my fat spider as yet, but yes. I'm. You're on your but way. I'm, I'm on my way, and I'm I'm all good. It's okay. We're all, right. all good people. Well, we want to give a big shout out to Zandley. So Zandley has left us a five star review on iTunes called "I'm Addicted." And Zandalee has said, I'm new to podcasts, so only discovered yours about six months ago, and I'm now addicted. You are my constant companion in the car as I work through your back catalogue. I'm not sure what I'll do with myself once I've listened to them all. Thank you for your insightful peek behind the curtain of your successful writing careers and those of the writers in residence. You've helped me understand my procrastinating tendencies, writing insecurities, and how to fit writing into my already overcrowded schedule. Thanks for the inspiration, the encouragement, and the laughter. Hashtag Team Banoffee. Hashtag <gasps> Sorry Al. <laughs> oh, you are forgiven, but seriously, really, Banoffee. Thank you, Zandalee. I am super thrilled. Well, <laughs> but, um, you know, really appreciate you taking the time. Frankly, to I do believe you need all the help you can get because I do mm-hmm. seriously feel like there are more on Team Chocolate. And I would maybe. Hey, we should do a poll. Can we do a poll in our group? We must. Let's see where we're at. No, up to I don't want to know. So. Because um, you know you're going to lose. If, if you have 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, we'd really be grateful because it helps us in the rankings and helps us to be discovered by other people. Now let's move on to our the world of writing and publishing this week. So you have a link for us from um, uh, Creative Kids Tales. I do, but before we get to that, before I just want to have, yeah, we do, because just while we're on the subject of, you know, helping people discover us and, okay. and the love and yes. all of those things, I just wanted to share the love because okay. um, Gemma Patience has written a post on her website, gemmapatience.com. Uh, yes. Gemma Patience is also an awesome name, so I just put that out there, name. Patience, P-A-T-I-E-N-C-E. Mm. Um, and I just, of which I have none, so the fact that you have an entire last name, I think that's brilliant. Um <laughs> I just wanted to say thank you so much for the shout-out because uh, Emma has written a post called My Podcast Heart in which she discloses that she is part Luddite and therefore you are my people, Gemma, um, and has recently opened her arms to the wonderful world of podcasts and is sharing uh, some of her favourites, five of her favourites, on um, on her post. And, of course, one of those is So You Want to Be a Writer, of course, course one of those is there um so I just wanted to say thank you for the shout out and we are always very very excited to know that we've made somebody's top five list yes. I'm wrapped with that thank you very so much thrilled. and there's a couple of others of um of our favorites in there which is uh, one more page of course which is a podcast for lovers of kids kids books 
Um, the Happy Book, which is Tanya McCartney. Now, we interviewed Tanya McCartney about 80 million episodes ago because that's how many we have. Um, and she was amazing. She's an author illustrator and it was a terrific, a terrific interview. I remember it. So if you, I don't remember what number it was, um, but if you are interested in, um, you know, illustration, writing for kids, she writes fantastic picture books. Um, have a listen to that one if you haven't already. Um, and of course, the middle grade mavens who talk about middle grade, which of course is, you know, my love. And I've been on that one discussing middle grade with them. Um, and grown up, Grown-ups read things they wrote as kids, which, you know, I haven't listened to it, but it sounds hilarious. I think if I was to read out, oh, I've got a poem about the Anzacs that I could read to you one day if I got round to it. I might have even done that. Have I done that years ago? No. One day they went out to fight. They crept out into the dark, dark night. I won a prize for my Billy Billy Anzac Day uh, thing. Cool. Back in the day when I was 11. <laughs> anyway, maybe I should get on. Maybe I need to get myself on to grown-ups reading things they wrote as kids because I think that sounds amazing. Anyway, anyway, this was all just to say thank you very much for the shout-out, yes. Gemma. We really appreciate you um, helping spread the word about the podcast and hello to any new listeners who have discovered us because of Gemma's wonderful post. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Gemma. I really appreciate it. And, oh, and then I was supposed to go somewhere after that. Georgie wrote Georgie. a post. Sorry, Georgie. <laughs> That's right. That's where I was actually going. Yes. Georgie Donaghy, who is an amazing, amazing um, person within the children's literature community. Um, she runs a website called creativekidstales.com.au and uh, uh, Book Boy was one of the Creative Kids Tales kid book reviewers back in the day when he was about 11. Um, and he, that's what got him started, I think, with the whole book review thing. And he then jumped off and started his own blog and, you know, got himself all, uh, got himself all you know, platformy. Um, but uh, Georgie has done a Q&A with us on, with both of us on her uh, website and yep. I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, and it's a, it's a post about the writing of So You Want to Be a Writer, which of course is our book, How to Get Started While You Still Have a Day Job. And if you haven't got a copy of that book yet, well, I mean, seriously, what are you waiting for? More Val and Al like at your fingertips whenever you need us, not to mention hundreds of writing tips um, that we have gleaned by going through every single transcript of, of our wonderful author interviews. Like there is so much joy to be had in that book. Mm. How am I going, Val? Am I doing all right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if you would like to read a little bit about the writing of that book um, and a Q&A about the kind of research that we did and um, my three tips for kids who want to write for children as well as Val's, then please um, have a look at the post on creativekidstales.com.au. And thank you so much for giving us space on your website, Georgie. We very much appreciate it. Yes, absolutely. It's um. Uh, it's such a cool website as well. Now, we just wanted to highlight Reading Hour. We do want to yes. highlight Reading Hour because let's, like, seriously, an invitation to read. How can there be anything better than an invitation to read? Australian Reading Hour. And you know what? I'm just going to fling that invitation out there to any of our international listeners as well. I feel like you should get involved in Australian Reading Hour too because why not? Um and basically, Australian Reading Hour is on Thursday, September the 19th. The idea is that you stop what you're doing for one hour and pick up a book. I mean, I'm giving you permission 
to just drop everything and read whatever it is that is your current, you know, book of choice. Um, read to your kids, read by yourself, read on the bus, read wherever you want. Um, there's a hashtag, hashtag reading hour. So if you are reading something, why not share what you're reading? Why not pop up a little picture, you know, put it in the, in the So You Want To Be A Writer Facebook group. Let us know what you're reading because, you know, we, we love, we like to know. Val and I are actually really fascinated by all this stuff. We are really keen to know what you're reading and why you love it or hate it or whatever. Or let's maybe not talk too much about the hate. Why why you love what you're reading. <laughs> um, and, of course, if you'd like to pick up a copy of the Mapmaker Chronicles, any of the four books in the series or the Ataban Cypher novels, yes. any of the two books, and share that, then, of course, you will win my heart forevermore, <laughs> even if you are on Team Banoffee. <laughs> okay, let's move on to our competition this week. We have three copies of Trim, the Cartographer's Cat by <laughs> Matthew Flinders, Philip Sandal and Gillian Dooley. Now, I love cats, as you know, so this book is actually right next to me right now and I can't wait to read it. Um, not many ships' cats have even one memorial statue, let alone six, but Trim does, including one outside Euston Station in London, proudly unveiled by Prince William on the bicentenary of Matthew Flinders' death on 19th July 2014. Trim was the ship's cat who accompanied Matthew Flinders on his voyages to circumnavigate and map the coastline of Australia from 1801 to 1803. He lived quite an adventurous life. As a small kitten, he fell overboard while at sea but managed to swim back to the vessel and climb back on board by scaling a rope. This cemented his position as Flinders's beloved companion, and together they survived a voyage around the world, the circumnavigation of Australia, and a shipwreck. Trim, the cartographer's cat, is an ode to this much-loved ship's cat, which will warm the heart of any cat lover. And, of course, if you're not a cat lover as well. So there, <laughs> we have three copies of Trim to give away. Uh, just enter the competition over at writercentre.com.au slash win. Entries close on the 23rd of September 2019. If you go to that URL in the future, don't worry, there'll be some other competition for you to enter. So that's writercentre.com.au slash win. All right now, Al, are you ready for the word of the week? I, I'm ready, Val. I'm just going to sit upright and I'm going to take it. I'm ready. Okay. Lush. L-O-U-C-H-E. Lush. Hmm. Yes. I thought you pronounced it lush, so I am surprised. You could, but apparently you pronounce it like you would say whoosh, and okay. it comes from the French meaning cross-eyed, but in English it means sinister or devious. So you might say uh, that establishment was known for its lush clientele mm -hmm. just like the tv series the 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 establishment in the tv series les norton are you watching that it's not actually my favorite show um <laughs> but uh it's uh it's currently on i don't even know what channel abc um, abc but um uh it's yes set in it, it's it's um based on the books by robert g barrett Yes. So that's an interesting one because uh, we've watched a couple of episodes of that. So Les Norton is kind of like a bit of a joke, a bit of a joke between my husband and I because really, yeah, yeah. So we've both of us have read pretty much every single book in that series. Are you serious? No, I am serious. Well, oh. well no, no. Let me tell you why though. It was just one of those. 
started out as a joke because he had this flatmate that was obsessed with them and thought they were the best books that had ever been written. Mm. Um, and so we both read one, mm. uh, you know, because this flatmate was raving about yes. these books. We both read them. And they're kind of the, – the books themselves are actually – like they're fun. they're actually funny. They're it's a it, it's a strange cartoony sort of world in a way in a way. But they it comes across as a lot more sort of cartoony and strange. I, I can't quite explain it. But the books <laughs> are a lot better than the than the series. I mean, okay. I I'm not hating the series. So. On, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Um, but the actual books were just this running joke because there is running jokes that go all through the books. So when you start with one and you've read them all, um, they're kind of like these very – and you're sort of wondering what is going to happen to this guy next, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't quite know where I was going with that, but I just wanted to, just <laughs> to let you know that the books are actually highly entertaining in a really blokey sort they're of way. They're very blokey. And there they're are so many blokey. of them. There's like twenty know, or something, or more. But than that's 20. the thing. I've I've read so many of them. I like this. I'm talking like, well, you know, twenty, maybe twenty years ago or fifteen years. You know, yeah, I'm yeah. talking years ago that I read them. But they, it was just hilarious, and it became this running joke that I would give him one of those for every birthday and every mm, Christmas, okay. and then we would both read it and laugh. All right. Well, because that of the flat name, something I did not expect from you. But oh, look, I'm full of surprises. Are you what are? Can I say? All right, we're doing something a little bit different this week. We've actually got two mini interviews with our writers, plural, in residence. So first up, who have we got, Al? So um, our first interview is uh, Tristan Banks, and of course he'll be quite familiar to many listeners of our of our podcast because we have spoken to Tristan a couple of times about his writing process and different things. Um, but I particularly wanted to talk to him about this new book, which is called Detention, and which has been getting a huge amount of of interest, um, press press interest, critical interest. Um, it's a very timely book. Um, and Tristan will tell us all about the details of it, so I'm not going to go into that. But um, it's a very timely book, and I went into the interview thinking that I knew where it had come from because it's about, you know, breakout from a refugee detention centre. So I'm thinking, yeah, Tristan's been reading the news, and obviously he's, you know, decided to explore that. But, of course, no, because if there's one thing we should all know about author interviews by now, it is that they will surprise you. And so the inspiration and the, the starting point for this book um, did just that, and so I hope you guys find the um, this an interesting interview about about how those sorts of things work. Tristan Banks is an Australian children's and YA author who almost needs no introduction to our podcast listeners, as we have spoken to him several times over the course of the podcast history. He's so interesting, we just keep coming back. He is back this month with a brand new middle grade novel called Detention, which is already receiving rave reviews. So welcome to the program, Tristan. Thank you. It's good to be back. All right. So let's talk about your new book, Detention. Can you tell me, uh, tell our, you know, tell our listeners a little bit about it? It's about a 12-year-old girl, Seema, who escapes from an immigration detention centre uh, early one morning and the escape goes wrong, an alarm goes up, there are smoke bombs, there are people being tackled to the ground, but Seema was told by her dad to run no matter what, so she manages to get over the motorway and into the bush, but she's broken up from her family and she hides in a local school 
and the school goes into lockdown and during the lockdown a boy finds her in the toilet block and has to decide whether to dob her in and have her sent back into detention or whether he can possibly help her get away and she has to decide whether to trust him or not. Mm. It's a it's a very meaty storyline and a very timely storyline for for a middle grade audience. So how when you're writing something like this, like you've always got to keep obviously your audience in mind. How do you balance the seriousness of the issues that you're addressing? Because you know we are talking issues with a capital I here, um, with a story that kids are going to find engrossing and and want to follow all the way to the end. I had a quote um, planted at the front of the manuscript, and it's a Kate DiCamillo quote that I will probably misquote here, but it's something like um, she was fascinated by the way E.B. White managed to tell kids the truth and make it bearable. So E.B. White wrote Charlotte's Web among, mm. and, and Stuart Little, but how do you tell the truth and make it bearable? And I've heard Morris Gleitzman say a similar thing. Um and I love that idea. I love that, that you, you're still trying to tell the truth. You're not lying. You're not being inauthentic. But you're doing it in such a way that, uh, it's, that, that kids can, can take it. You, know, you might not be telling the story in as dark a way as it can be told or as explicit or as it could be told. But you are still telling the truth. And you're giving enough information that a reader might go off and then find out more afterwards so what was the key for that process for you in the sense of because you know that that's a big task you know telling kids the truth in a way that's bearable it's a big task and I know it's one that parents address you know on a regular basis let's face it but you know what was the process for unlocking the right um what's the word I'm after like the right tone for it for the for the book for the was it was it finding the character was it like finding that voice because it does have quite a distinctive voice the novel I felt when I read through it was it finding that voice was that where you kind of like got into that zone of 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 the the truth but bearable um I think so it's partly hit and miss it's partly that you know you try a draft and you find you do go you you, I try not to pull punches at first I try to just write it and let go and if I start going into a place that probably feels too dark for the readership I just let myself go into it rather than pulling punches and then later on I can go back and I can say oh look maybe there's a, a more elegant way that I could do that and then sometimes I'll maybe write it too young and I will I, I, I won't um, be as as honest as I could be sort of thing and then and so really, um, for me, my, my early drafts, my zero draft and my first draft are a bit of a mess, you know, and they're, they're sort of hit, hit and miss and they're here and there and they're not, you know, it's not streamlined at all. It's just that process of around the fifth draft, things start to sort of flow and their pacing's right and probably the age appropriateness, you know, it just feels right for that audience. And partly it's instinct and partly um, by sometimes I read test chapters for or kids when I go into schools, um, sometimes I'll just venture a chapter and I'll think, oh, and I'll say, I'll apologise and say, look, I haven't really finished it, but you guys will be my first audience. And sometimes they nod politely and then sometimes, and you don't expect that they'll really lean in and you'll think, oh, right, this, okay, so this is better than what I thought it was. Um, so it, it can go either way though. Okay. Did you always know that it was going to be middle grade or was there ever a time when it could have been a YA novel? <laughs> I really like writing writing for that audience. I think that sort of 10 and up, you know, year five to sort of year eight or year nine, um, I think 
you know, kids are smart and switched on and they can deal with really big ideas um, in a complex way, but they are also, you know, enthusiastic and great to speak to um, in school and things. And I also have really strong memories of that time. I had really good teachers around that time and I had, um, I don't know, I just feel like I can drop into the space of what I was like when I was sort of 12 or 13 quite easily. Okay. So, so yeah, I think I did always know it was going to be for that audience. And having written Two Wolves in the Fall and started to build that readership i think it doesn't serve me to then randomly go off and write a a really explicit ya novel for 18 year olds and then suddenly to write a picture book and then you know i think over time you really you you find your readership and it takes so long to build that you you may as well keep writing for those people yes that's very true i want to talk to you a little bit more about that in a minute but before we get to that um you you mentioned that you do you know a lot of drafts so kind of the process for writing this novel how long did it actually take you till you had something that you were happy with well from the initial idea of writing a story about a lock down um, because it was from when I was in a fire drill in a school and I started talking to the kids and teachers about lockdowns that they had been in. Um, it was about sort of six or seven years that I was just noodling around with notes on my phone and notes in notebooks and when I was doing writing workshops in schools, I would come back to this idea of, you know, a lockdown story in a school. And it was actually only about uh, a couple of years ago, two years ago, that I that I started writing it properly when I realised that uh, um, you know, Seema was going to be an asylum seeker on the run who had escaped from this immigration detention centre. And that's when I really felt like I, I had a story on my hands. So probably two years of writing and six or seven years of thinking and note-taking. That's interesting. So it actually came from the lockdown aspect of it more than it came from the detention aspect, so to speak. Because, you know, when I read it, I thought, well, it's such a timely book. I assumed that it was that angle that had driven it to start with. No, and I, and I sort of, I'm kind of glad it came from the lockdown aspect initially, and then I discovered this other thing that moved me, probably because I'm reading about it all every day in the news, and I'm seeing news stories about it, and it's such a, an interesting thing for all of us, and I think something that a lot of people are concerned about, but um, I think the fact that I came from that lockdown aspect to begin with meant that I didn't uh, write the issue all the time. I didn't just have characters talking about the issue nonstop, mm. and or or I tried not to anyway. It'll be up mm. to the reader to decide. But that was my intention to to not write the issue. I think I I have tried to write things when I've thought, oh, that issue is interesting. I might write something about it, and I find that all I do is is write the issue, and it's really boring. And I think in fiction, you need to write the story, you need to write the characters, you need to find the emotion, and have genuine people doing things, and not just serving a theme or a very premise. very true um but on that on the on the issue and on the authenticity of the issue the book has quite a lengthy dedication um at the start um can you tell us a little bit about that um at the start i think there's a, a dedication to hassan Razai and yasmina bajrak that's Forever, correct two of my um who were my uh, advisors, sort of key advisors. Um, they had been pointed to an organisation called Starts that they work with um, from the Asylum Seeker Centre in Sydney. And, and uh, Hassan was a, um, an Afghani uh, refugee in about 2001, very early 2000s, and Yasmina, a Bosnian refugee. And they both work with refugees also and people who have survived trauma. And 
throughout the process they were just really helpful they i would send emails with questions i would meet up with them you know they would have we would have phone calls and they were very tolerant of me and um and sort of also pointed me in the right direction to other organisations, um, uh, Sarah Dale at the um, Refugee Advice and Casework Service who advised me, and then Shikufa from um, the Refugee Council of Australia. So I just really felt like if I was going to write this story and uh, this character, I really needed to understand it properly and to make sure that um, the story, uh, you know, ticked all the boxes in, ter- in terms of authenticity and people even people who knew a lot about the issue that they could read it and feel that it was the, the truth you know that it could yeah. have happened okay all right now you touched on this a little bit but you've actually developed into an author with two quite distinct styles you have that sort of lighter humorous style of tom weekly and then you've obviously got this sort of darker more serious books um still middle grade but um just a, a, a quite a different you know, a strain of, of writing um, with Two Wolves and the, full, the Fall and now this one. How do you balance those two sides? Uh, you know, is Tom Weasley like something that you use as a kind of like an escape when the other stuff is hardcore? I think so. I think drafts of <laughs> drafts of novels like this, uh, they tire you out. You know, when you get to the end of a draft, you're really thankful that you actually made it through because you didn't think you were going to when you're only halfway through. Yeah. And they're really hungry for ideas. And it's such a relief after that to just write a short story that's hopefully funny where you get to use the other side of your personality. Yep. So I guess it's a bit like, you know, we all read pretty diverse stuff and lots of different things and we read nonfiction and comedy and drama and and it's a bit the same. I, d- I just write different things as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I love that relief and I love flipping between the two and I've always done it even when I was sort of making short films or when I was acting and things. I, I always seem to work on, you know, uh, funny stuff and then I'd work on something kind of heavier and darker and then I'd work you know, go back and do something lighter again. Mm. Are you working on new Tom Weekly yeah. stories as we speak? I'm actually, uh, I've actually been working on a, some stories. Uh, my great great uncle Jim Banks created a comic strip called Ginger Megs in about 1921. Oh, that one! I think we've and, heard of that. Uh, <laughs> yes. Well, I, I say I say it like that because you know kids aren't necessarily as Today, familiar with it now no. as they used to be. So sorry. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Adults do know Ginger Megs, um, and I've been working on some stories. It's in 2021. It's the hundredth anniversary of Ginger Megs. So <gasps> I've exciting. been working. Yeah, working on some Meg stories which I have always wanted to do and always wanted to do something about my great-great-uncle. I've been fascinated by it since childhood and by him and the character. So, yeah, that's that's the next sort of um, lighter, funniest thing that oh, I'm working on. Oh, that's fun. I look forward to those. I loved yeah. Ginger Mags. It was that whole redhead ah. thing, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I loved it too. And I was very excited. I started in uh, about 1985 or 1986 when I won a Ginger Meg's show bag at the Royal Easter Show. <laughs> Did you? Um, that was a highlight of my childhood, winning the, uh, the, that, that $4 uh, show bag. You would have been too young, I think, to audition for the Ginger Meg's film. I Did think you? so. Because that, that was an open that. audition. That was a. I remember because I was, yeah, you must have been too young because I was yeah. young. Um, I think it was sort of 1982 from memory. That yeah, movie. yeah, yeah. I remember seeing it and, you know, thinking, wow, that would be so great. But, you know, it wasn't wasn't in my realm of possibility at that point. Yeah, and anyway. Newton was in it. And, you I know. know. Drew Forsyth. The world was in it. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, okay, so switching gears a little bit, when you do school visits, do you have different presentations? Obviously, you've got two quite distinct styles. So do you have different pres presentations that showcase different works? And do schools ask you for one or the other? Like, is there, is it like I'm, you know, I'm going to turn up and do Tom Weekly or I'm going to turn up and do, you know, Two Wolves? How does it work? I just lean, I see who the audience is when I get there and I just lean towards one or the other. And if it's, if there are sort of year three and four kids in the talk, I'll lean towards Tom Weekly and I'll mention the, the other books, but perhaps not go into the same sort of depth. Yep. But if it's years, year five and up, if it's years five to nine, um, I will, you know, year five and six, I'll do Tom Weekly and then, you know, the, the older novels, tools, the fall and detention. Um, and then if it's more firmly, say year eight and nine I'll, i won't do tom weekly i'll just focus on okay. on the older novels yeah so, so you wing I, it I, I like a bit that. more it, yes it, and it keeps me interested too and i have i have it all in my presentation so i just sort of flip to different parts of the presentation depending on um you know with how old the audience is and how interested they are and you know if they suddenly seem bored i'll quickly go to something that i find that, that i know is going to be more entertaining so I sort of it keeps me interested too. Um, Fantastic. Like that. Yeah. All right. So I guess my uh, you've almost answered this question with the discussion about ginger megs. But is that your uh, main focus of, of what you're working on at the moment, or is are there other things also in the pipeline? Oh, I've been working on a story about a drowned town. I, I used to go to Ginderbine when I was a kid and, uh, and you know, they, they buried the town underneath the lake when they created the snowy hydroelectric yeah, yeah. scheme. Yep. And I was always fascinated by that town that was down there and the remnants of those people's lives and, you know, the roads and the buildings and things that had been buried. So I just, um, yeah, so I just decided that I would, yeah, try and, try and write a story about a drowned town, a crime mystery about a drowned town. Ooh, that sounds great. I look forward to it. All right. Well, thank yeah. you so much for your time today, Tristan. Really, really appreciate it. Of course, if you would like to find out anything more about Tristan or his work or all the very interesting things that he does, you can find him at what is your website? It's tristanbanks.com and it's uh, T-R-I-S-T-A-N-B-A-N-C-K-S.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, Tristan. No worries. Thank you. Good to chat. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you'd like to get paid to see the world, a popular five-week course in travel writing will show you how. From Dubai to Dubbo, learn the steps to bringing destinations to life, as well as how to research and plan your itineraries and exactly what you need to do to approach a travel editor so they will publish your article. All this with a few hours of study each week. You'll enjoy the convenience of online learning and have your very own tutor to provide personal feedback on your writing and answer your questions. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash travel writing course there you go i hope you enjoyed that interview with tristan now our next interview mini interview is with ali berg now you may remember ali from episode 241 because she is alumni of the uh, australian writer center and she and her friend michelle kalis um did this great thing where um they they founded book on the rail where they would just drop off books on public transport um, so to encourage people reading and then they co 
co-wrote The Book Ninja. And that was so successful, they have now co-written another uh, book called While You Were Reading. So here's Ali to tell us all about that. Thanks for joining us today, Ali. Thanks so much for having me. Well, congratulations. Obviously, you've been very busy because when we first spoke to you, you had released your book, The Book Ninja, and that was also after you had been very busy with a movement called Books on the Rail, where you would leave, you and various other book ninjas would leave books on the trains and trams in, in Melbourne and around, the, and around other cities to encourage reading. And obviously that inspired um, for you and your and your friend Michelle Kalis to write the book Ninja. But now you've done it again. Both of you have co-written your latest book. Um, tell us what it's about. And it's it's you obviously both really love books because it's got another book related theme. So if anyone hasn't um, picked it up yet, what what is what is while you were reading about? Yes. So yeah, we definitely have a theme. Um, While You Are Reading is also a bookish romance, as we like to call it. Mm-hmm. So it's about books and it's about, uh, it's a rom-com as well. It's about a girl called B who lives in Melbourne and she finds a book at a secondhand bookstore uh, with scribbles all over it and notes uh, inside it. And she falls in love with those scribbles and those notes. Um, and she tries to find the owner. So she travels all around Melbourne to try and find uh, the owner of this book and uh, ends up, uh, yeah, well, she falls in love with a few people along the way and, um, yeah, ends up in a love quadrangle, we like to say. Love it. And how did this come about? Did you find a book with lots of scribbles that you fell in love with? Um, no, not really. It came um, about in a more modern way than that. We actually, um, Michelle and I, my co-author, actually share a Kindle account. Um, so we, <laughs> so we always leave each other notes, which you can do on the Kindle um, uh, while while we're reading, while we are reading. And um, uh, yeah, we shared, we write notes to each other, different parts that we like, or things we might think that the other person will laugh at or will find sad. And then we got the idea really to write a book about notes inside a book. That is brilliant. And so when you wrote the book Ninja together, which obviously um, came out of your friendship together and the fact that you both love books and that you both co-founded Books of the Vale, did you at that point think you would write another book together or did you kind of just think, let's just try it and see what happens? <laughs> well, uh, we did uh, at the start when we first started writing uh, the book Ninja. We we only really thought that our mums would would end up reading the book. <laughs> um, but then once we realised that other people did start reading the book, um, and we really did enjoy writing it, we did think, uh, yeah, that we we did really want to write another uh, book, and we had an idea for it. We also signed a two book deal, so we were also con- contractually obligated to write the second <laughs> book. Um, <laughs> But yeah, we we did come up with an idea. Sort of at, at the end of writing the first book, we we had lingering thoughts about what we could write the second book about, and then it just stemmed from there. And so, just tell me a little bit of a rough timeline of when you conceived the idea, when you actually started writing it. You know, the first draft, and then when you got it to a stage that it was finished, that you would submit it to the publisher. Yeah, so we ended up uh, coming up with the idea. Uh, six months before our first book was even launched. So it all sort of was very quick. We came up with a synopsis and a plot uh, at the end of um, 2017. And then 
in 2018, last year, June, our first book was launched. And by that time, we were already halfway through writing this second book while you were reading. Um, wow. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, we actually handed in our first draft um, at around uh, November last year. Um, so it was just over a year that we had uh, for the first draft and then ended up, um, yeah, the final draft went out in March and then was published in July this year. Yeah, right. So how, because obviously you've, you're writing it together, tell us how that works on a practical level and if that had changed at all from the way that you did it with the first book because of what you learnt and what you experienced and so on. Yes, so it's a little bit different um, to yeah how how I used to write independently. Um, uh, we did start writing as co-authors, sitting side by side, piano style, and just nutting out every word together, and then realised that that was really not really not really effective and uh, very time consuming. So then we split up the chapters, um, one each, and ended up writing one each, and then um, giving them to and through to each other um, until we formed one voice um but yeah that meant that we had to plot everything out in detail um mm. th- at the very start so we really plotted out every single chapter what would happen in each chapter um uh, some very minute detail which I never used to do I used to just um I was a panther not a plotter so I used mm. to write um as I went and just sort of discovered the story as I was writing it but with co-author- co-authors it's a little bit different uh, difficult to do that Mm. Is it easier in a sense because you know exactly what you need to write? I think so, yeah. It is a bit easier and, yeah, a lot faster as well um, because there's two of us. So we knew we knew exactly what was going to happen. I might be writing Chapter 3 when Chapter 2 hadn't even been written yet by Michelle. Um, mm. But So we would have to change things up here and there, but we did have a, quite a solid understanding. We spent a lot of time uh, creating the structure and the plot map before we actually put pen to paper. So tell me what that looked like and and what your environment was. Did you get together and have a whole ton of post-it notes or did you have a whiteboard? Did you do it on Scrivener? What did that look like, practically speaking? We did it with post-it notes. So, yeah, we got together a few times um, uh, and just nutted it out over a breakfast, which turned into a lunch, which turned into a dinner. I think the first <laughs> time we were together for about 14 hours. Um, wow. And, yeah, we just we just sort of plotted out everything with a whole lot of different post-it notes, ended up writing some things, uh, yeah, then ended up writing a structural map uh, in Google Docs, which is how we do it just so we can jump in and out um, at whatever, uh, whenever we want. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then again a few more times over drinks, over dinner. Or, there was always a drink or food involved, but a really long plot mapping session. Uh, you always with post-it notes. That's how we work. Um, and then, and then, and then writing it up officially in our Google Map, in our Google Docs. Now you talk about doing it in post-it notes, and that you did it in quite minute detail. So presumably there were lots of post-it notes. Now, also on a practical level, how did you, how did this work? Because I was actually helping an author plot stuff out on post-it notes the other day, and they weren't good quality post-it notes. They must have been from the $2 shop because they lost their stick very quickly and then everything was out of order and they forgot which order it was meant to. It took a lot of time to put it back in the right order. So 
was what did you do to make sure that you recorded things in the right way that things didn't fly all over the place when there was a gust of breeze I know this is getting into detail but this is you know reality a, a, a question that some people might be asking yeah exactly so we had that problem as well and I think a lot of the post-it notes that we used um sort of just ended up in a pile somewhere <laughs> and yeah a lot of them did we, we did po- we did put them out at the time but then after that meeting we ended up writing them all up in our Google Docs and putting them in order in our Google Docs just because we knew otherwise we would lose them and we do have those post-it notes somewhere but <laughs> yeah we didn't use them for a long period of time it was just mainly to get our thoughts um, from our head onto paper and then we and then we um, put them all together on on the Google Doc. And so when you plotted it all out over a few days, it sounds like, was it a few days, a few catch-ups? Uh, yeah, a few, yes, a few catch-ups over a few weeks. Yes. So after you plotted it all out and you essentially needed to then go write it, you know, go fill in the blanks, um, did the plot change because of stuff that you guys had written? Uh, yes, so it did change. Um, mm. Definitely, it did change. We we did. It didn't change as much as it would have changed. I think if we hadn't plotted it, it didn't. Mm. It still was quite similar to our initial draft, but there were some uh, really, um, yeah, pivotal changes or big changes that were made to the structure. Mainly after the first edits, um, after we sent it into our publisher for the first time. Um, that then, yeah, but actually, no, from first initial writing to first draft it didn't really change that much interestingly enough okay now tell me are you still doing books on the rail uh yes we definitely are so uh we are still putting books on public transport like crazy women um <laughs> we've got a, a team of a thousand book ninjas across mm-hmm. australia now um and around eight thousand books in circulation on public transport and how do you know that the station not the station the tram driver or the janitor or whatever doesn't come and just sweep the book up yeah so we were really worried about that at the start it was sort of a covert mission where we didn't uh, tell anyone what we were doing and just planted them on the trains and trams and buses but now and we've actually spoken to all the all the metro lines and all the tram lines and bus lines and they've all briefed their cleaning staff in Mm -hmm. to keep them in circulation so not to put them on lost property or in the bin which is great so we know that at least they're still riding the trains until someone picks them up that's great and tell us what do you what else do you do when you're not writing books with Michelle what else are you doing um, so we both have full-time putting jobs. putting books on public transport. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, besides for being a ninja um, and an author. So I'm, uh, I run an advertising agency with my brother, so co-founding that as well. I'm always co-something. <laughs> but, yes, uh, yeah, running an advertising agency. I'm a copywriter, so uh, I come from an advertising background and we have an advertising agency called Hedgehog. Awesome. And do you have um... – you you had done the creative writing course at the Australian Writers Centre with Nicole Hayes at Abbotsford Convent. Was that useful for you when you were writing your first book? Yeah, that was really useful. Um, really, it was my first step into telling anyone that I wanted to write a book or sharing any thoughts with anyone and sharing my thoughts with Nicole um, and my writing was very scary but really gave me the confidence to, to actually do it. Um, even though that manuscript that I wrote is still in my drawer somewhere. <laughs> um, but if, having that confidence to write, I think, was really important when writing this book. I think otherwise I probably wouldn't have done it. 
Mm. And are you writing a third book together? Uh, yes, we definitely are. Um, we are. Can't, well, we we definitely hope to. We're we're coming up with a few ideas now. We'd like to. Um, I think revisit our first book, The Book Ninja. Um, we think there's a sequel in there somewhere. So we're having a few thoughts about that as well. Great. And now that you've written two books with Michelle, do you think you can go it alone? <laughs> um, yes, I would. I mean, I think I can, but I think that I, I'm, I love writing with Michelle. We both love writing with each other. Um, mm-hmm. And I think for the moment, yeah, we're, we, we want to do it as a team. Wonderful. Very, very excited for you and congratulations to both you and Michelle. I'm sure it's going to go gangbusters. Well done. Thanks so much for talking us, talking to us today, Ali. Thank you so much for having me. All right, there you go, Ali Berg, and congratulations to Ali and, of course, all of our alumni who go on to such huge publishing success. Now, what are you doing in the coming week, Al? I am preparing for the school holidays, Valerie. Is it already because, school holidays? How did yeah, you? Oh my God, really? I don't know, but it is oh. creeping up upon us again. Um, and this time around, it's actually quite an interesting school holidays because not only are we school holidays, but Book Boy is heading off to do work experience in the school holidays because we are at that point in our lives as well. Um, wow. So he's off to Warner Music, which oh, I have to say, cool. I know. Where did you do work experience? I'm super jealous. I did work experience. My year 10 work experience was with the local radio station, oh. uh, 2ST, and also, are you ready? Mm. A childcare centre. Really? Really. <laughs> you? Me. Okay. That's what my mum said. Oh. did okay. She was just like, really? <laughs> <laughs> Righto. <laughs> and then you in year eleven I did work experience again and I went to this that was when I did the my my week my life changing week at the Sydney Morning Herald where I decided oh. I could never be a newspaper journalist. Ever. What, why? We've have we not discussed this? Not I'm that sure bit, we have. not the why you could never be a yeah, newspaper. Yeah, no, no, no. Because um because we did um I did a couple of days so you do the whole, you know, you go through the whole you know, you do the letters to the editor section and you do whatever. Mm. That was all fine and dandy. But on when I did the news, actual news section, I um, I, I had to be there at five in the morning, which was always going to be problematic for me to start with. Mm. Um, but the second thing was that we it, we had a, it was just a really bad day. Mm. But I, I just think being a news journalist, you, you probably have many like this. But um, there had been a, a, a bombing or something in an airport in Germany so we're talking back in the 80s it's a long time ago because mm. I'm pretty old um <laughs> pretty old but uh, there had been a bombing and an Australian family had been caught up in this in this bombing and so we were parked out the front of these people's oh. house at 5 30 in the morning like the rest of the family mm. at 5 30 in the morning um trying to get photos mm. of this family um out of the relatives mm. and I just thought I this I just I don't want to be here on any level mm. I wasn't there like I wasn't on the doorstep or anything yeah. but I was in the car mm. but just even that and you know what I think it's a good thing to find that out yeah, really. when you're 16 which I was mm. um as opposed to finding that out on your first day of the job but it was mm. just like I just thought I this is not my idea of what I, I you know journalism to me was investigating things but I hadn't actually realized what the reality of that could be and mm. I think that that was a bit too confronting oh, it just 
I just felt so sad for them and I didn't want to be asking them questions. Mm. Well, there you go, true confessions. Okay, geez. That went places I wasn't expecting, but anyway, I I don't mind asking questions now, but I still don't want to do that. No, Mm. I did work experience in a PR firm um, in year 10 and I don't remember what the other work experience was, but um, yeah, anyway, obviously it was, um, I thought it was interesting. Hmm. Um, All right, so where do we find you online, Al? You will find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You will find me on Twitter at at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you will find me on Facebook and where am I? Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at ValerieKoo.com and also on Twitter and Instagram at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O. Of course, you'll find the show notes at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au where we put all of the links to uh, that we've mentioned in this podcast and, um, and also the transcript. Thank you so much for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.